Before we get started, I want to share something very exciting that I have been working on and I would love to invite you to. Here at Mamas in Training, my goal is to create community. As a mama in training myself, I have learned that in order to get through this motherhood thing, community is key. So I have decided to create just that. Mamas in Training Premium will be launching at the end of the summer. This will be a monthly membership where you will get on-air shoutouts, ask me anything, special opportunities to meet future and former podcast guests, and most importantly, a monthly online Zoom support party with me and the rest of the members, all for the whopping price of $7 a month. Basically, a venti latte at Starbucks. But right now, I have already started our meetings with a small beta group of about 20 ladies, and there are a few slots left. So, if you would like instant community for $7, then what are you waiting for? Go ahead and click the link in the show notes that says premium membership, and I'll see you at the next meeting. Now, on to the show. Want to know the number one golden nugget to induce labor? In this week's episode, my guest, Hannah Murray, a labor and delivery nurse, as well as the founder of Baby Talk, breaks down inductions for us. We talk about what a medical induction entails and how you can learn about the steps to better prepare yourself and to communicate with your team on what you'd prefer to have or not. She also gives us some natural methods to help induce labor and make sure you listen till the end because she reveals the number one golden nugget that she personally discovered to induce labor. Here's Hannah. So I have something very, very serious to ask you before we get going. Sure. Um, can we please talk about Legos? <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is very, very serious. And yes. I, I don't know what you're doing with Legos, but I need to know. <laughs> right. Really, it's not a complicated story behind it at all. I was just I was looking for a way to kind of make my Instagram a little bit more uniform. I've never been good. I was thinking, you know, like drawings or some kind of sketches. A lot of people do like pictures of themselves doing different things. And I just wasn't really ready for that. And my son, who now is 15, my oldest son, he had so much Lego in his room. And we were actually like going through his stuff. And I'm like, I can actually build things and like teach through Lego. And I love Lego myself. It's just an opportunity for me to <laughs> play with it, which I mean, it I'm is, almost 40, oh, it's so, so it's kind unique. of weird to say that, but I, I love it. <laughs> no. And also, and then I realized after the fact, like like you said, it's unique. So when people are scrolling through Instagram, it's so different. Like it's kind of like eye-catching. So that's just an added bonus that I didn't even think of beforehand. But yeah. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> and I think it's nice too, because we do kind of, especially in this mom world, we see a lot of the same things and Things can also be perceived in so many different ways. Right. And you can relate to all different types of people. Yeah. And it's a really perfect way. So if yeah. you haven't checked out Hannah's Instagram yet, you <laughs> got to check it out at the end of this podcast. Please, the link will be in the bio. But Hannah, I'm just so happy that you're here. So you're a labor and delivery nurse. You also just had a little baby. You have an infant at home. Yeah. And so thank you for taking this time. <laughs> no, my pleasure. Um, 
Oh my gosh. In addition to being a labor and delivery nurse and, and as well as a doula from Canada, you're also the founder of a blog called Baby Talk, which is chock full of info. I think the one thing before we dive into our main focus today, I wanted to connect on how you work in a hospital, but you're also really passionate about this natural approach to the way that you work with females. So can you just touch on that and how you fell upon combining the two? Yeah, so I think it probably stems back to when I started nursing. Actually, my teacher in school, when we did the birthing part of my course, she was very kind of like, you are in the hospital and we were doing our placement, but also birth is not really usually a medical issue. Like it's not a health issue. It's a normal, natural thing, but it's, it takes place in the hospital. I just felt that there was a need to help women understand that birth is a normal, natural thing, even though it's happening in the hospital. And it's great that we have the medical interventions that we have, but they're not always necessary. And then kind of also introducing the fact that, you know, hospitals are businesses. Whether you're in the States or in Canada, yes, we have free health care, but it's still doctors have to make money. The hospital has to make money. So they're, they just make it from the government instead of from insurance companies or from people's pockets. But it is a business. So we have to find the kind of line of where can we focus on helping women? And how can we do that? And then where, you know, is the focus on taking care of business kind of thing. So in my work, I like to think that if women have all the knowledge that they can, like if they know all they can about the hospital, what happens in the hospital, that helps them advocate for themselves. So that, you know, the what benefits the hospital isn't always the priority, but maybe that can come into play as well. And from your point of view, for women who might be pregnant or planning to get pregnant soon, would you say that there is a way that they can go on this hunt for the right hospital and or OB? to find that combination if that's what they're looking for? Like, are there certain things we should look out for if we want to be in a hospital? We don't want a home birth, but we mm-hmm. would like that natural natural comfort, yeah. you know, if we'd like to have certain things. How do we go about doing that research and finding the right place? So I think the midwifery model of care is probably the first place you'd look because a lot of midwives are associated with hospitals. So they have privileges in hospitals. So you can absolutely have access to all the medical interventions you need if you need them. But the their kind of worldview or their view of birth is more kind of holistic. So they try to keep things more on the natural end and only, you know, use the interventions when needed. Um, I know I've kind of researched a bit in the States, a little bit different than in Canada. In Canada, we just have a midwife and like it's a certain credential and that's it. In the States, there's different levels of midwifery. So there's like lay midwives. There's, I think kind of what's the most equivalent to, to my understanding is the um, certified nurse midwives because they, they are nurses first and then they kind of mm. add education and they're midwives and most of them work in hospitals. So that would be kind of my go-to. If you don't have midwives in your area, just, you know, interview doctors. Like it it's, wouldn't be a bad idea to have kind of a birth plan written out, kind of what you're thinking, yeah. even if you're not even pregnant, Before. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Take it to the, yeah. to your first appointment and kind of gauge, just look like, what's their reaction to the things you're saying? You can, you can tell right away. Um, and you know, some doctors might just say, oh, you're, you're better off with a midwife. I don't do this. Or the other thing yeah. you could also do is ask about their induction rates, ask about their C-section rates. And if they are high, and high is like 
the average for Canada, I think, is around 26% uh, C-section. I think it's a little bit higher in the States, maybe around 30. So they're, if they're above that number, then definitely interview a few other doctors before actually um, committing, just because if their C-section rate is higher, it's more likely that you might have more interventions that might lead to a C-section. Kind of a side note, just because it'll probably come up as we talk, I don't think C-sections are bad. I've actually had three C-sections. I have nothing against hmm. C-sections. When they are used in the wrong setting, so when they're not necessary, is when the problems start arising, you know, for convenience sake, for scheduling. And the women sometimes don't even know that that's a thing that actually happens. And they can hmm. kind of be, I don't want to say duped into it, because I think women are smart and they, you know, but in a sense, they kind of feel pressured into you know, going there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. just going to say, I think, I think what happens mostly is, and this is sort of the intention of really having this podcast and trying to do my best as not an expert, but as an aspiring future mom to learn about all the options and what you do have control over. Because right. I think if we don't do that work ahead of time, then we just go to these doctors and assume that what they're going to tell us is the best. And ideally it is, but also like I have a friend who her doctor had Christmas vacation coming up. So do you think she got induced? Because Probably, otherwise yeah. he had to go. She mm -hmm. sure did. Yeah. So I think that's the really good point that you bring up is just, first of all, getting clear and doing the research on what it is that you want bringing that to the table when you're doing your research. And, and and I love that idea of really interviewing the people that are going to be taking care of us. Like, it's not exactly. whether they'll take us and all that, like interview them just like you would your broker for a house or anybody, really. Yeah. Um, if anything, this is probably the most important hiring <laughs> you're going to be doing in your life. Totally. This is the birth of your child. And we should never take that lightly because your experience and how everything goes is going to affect the way that you know you parent and it's 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 a profound moment in your life it's a time you never forget so very important to you know choose the right provider definitely well yeah. i just had a moment of deja vu so <laughs> i'm going to take that as we're in the right place and we're, we're, we're delivering the message that we really need to deliver today. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you for that. So no that's worries. a perfect segue into what I really wanted to talk with you about today, because as I mentioned to you before we started recording, we, I mean, I could interview probably you alone for a whole <laughs> podcast, just about all your topics that you cover. It's, it's unreal. But one thing that really stood out to me in your blog, Baby Talk, was this conversation that you bring up twice about inductions. And so I wanted to kind of combine them today and talk about inductions, both natural ways of inducing as well as medical inductions and just what they are, what we should be prepared for and how we can know what to expect. So I know that we mentioned this briefly, especially when talking about C-sections, but medical inductions are often overused and, and or used for the wrong reasons. You mentioned in one place that I read that you said you see women who are being induced because either their doctor said they could or should or because they're done being pregnant. So before we kind of dive in, what are your thoughts around how women can really prepare themselves to know, you know, when they should advocate for themselves or when it truly is the right time? Yeah. 
that's a great question. And I think I kind of need to start this conversation. I don't know if you've heard about it or you definitely might have seen it floating around, but there was a study done a few years ago called the ARRIVE trial, which is about whether, because it was always the thought that induction is more likely to lead to C-section, especially in first time moms. So they did this study on whether that is actually true or not. And it's a really big randomized controlled trial, which is the kind of gold standard in medicine. And the results from that showed that it was actually safer and better to induce at 39 weeks. And it doesn't lead to increased C-sections. That was kind of the main bullet point Mm. that um, there are critics of the studies, but Overall, a lot of doctors are taking it kind of as like, okay, this is our rationale why it's okay to offer kind of non-medical inductions at 39 weeks. And um, I kind of don't really have an opinion on that. I think like I'm very natural minded. So in my mind, it doesn't really make sense because you think, isn't it more normal for your body to just do it on its own and not have to have that medical intervention. But I feel that since so many doctors are offering this, and a lot of women actually do want to have an induction at that time, because they're, you know, they're feeling very heavy, and it's been a long pregnancy, and they want it to be over with, I think if we can kind of educate on the fact of what what you can expect at that type of induction, um, rather than kind of judging it and saying, oh, it's completely, you know, wrong to do that, because that's not, you know, that's not helpful either because we're kind of alienating and isolating those people that want to have inductions at that time. Right. So your question was whether, how we can know whether, you know, it's actually time to have that induction. Well, I think have a really good in-depth conversation with your provider. Unfortunately, the way that OBGYNs work now, and it's not their fault is that they have, they're very short on time usually. So oftentimes the conversation is just, we need to induce you now. You can go to the hospital tomorrow and start your induction. And then, you know, women will be like, okay, let's go. But there's no information. Uh, many times I've had patients who come to the hospital, they come to triage, like, oh, my doctor said I could come get induced. Oh, why are you getting induced? I, I don't really know. And then you have to kind of start the teaching from there. Right. It's it's not uncommon. It happens. Communication is just not there. So that's kind of yeah. another reason I really started my online presence is the lack of, of teaching that, you know, OBGYNs are able to do. It's like, I don't even blame them. It's not even their fault. It's just the way that their practice is usually built up is they just don't yeah. have that time, right? So definitely ask them if they can't go through all the reasons that you need to be induced in that session, say, is there any way we could have another appointment where we can go over all the reasons and the risk? You you always have the right to know the risks, the benefits of any intervention, especially something as big as getting your body into labor. Um, and then also, how are you going to induce me? You know, what exactly is involved? There's many different methods and not all are equal. And, you know, ask about the different options. And if there's if there are options for you, or if there's one way that this doctor always induces. So those are kind of the questions that I would definitely ask. And in regards to medical inductions, they are sometimes necessary, definitely, most definitely. And I think we should also trust, you know, the medical professionals who have gone to school for many, many years. Um, if they're yeah. saying there is a danger to your to yourself or to your child, so we want to get you induced, I think that's a totally valid reason. Again, you want to have an in-depth conversation, not just, you know, I'm telling you you need to be induced now, but just find out all the risks and benefits to you. And, okay, so sometimes we're at 
39, 40, 41 weeks, wherever we're at, right? And we're so uncomfortable. We're ready to just get this baby out. We've probably gone through some Braxton Hicks and we don't know whether we're actually experiencing a contraction or not. Do you ever hear that there are women who they feel like they're ready and therefore they go through an induction because they they call up their doctor and they think it is? Or is it usually always based off of something medically that either is disconcerting? It totally depends. It totally depends on your provider, the hospital. Like it's so, it varies so much. I've, I've worked in three different places and they're all very different in their policies and how they, how they do things. So one of the places I've worked, it was very common induction, whether medical or we call it social, where the woman is like, I'm done. I want to be induced. were pretty common and happened very frequently. And then I've worked at another place where they actually mostly don't do social inductions like ever it's very kind of Mm. against their you know I don't know how to maybe they're not really their policy but it's just not something that the doctors there do they don't they don't like doing social inductions they just do the medical induction so it totally depends again this is you know when you're choosing your provider or your hospital if you have a choice those are the questions to ask you know what is the bishop score can you talk to us about that yes definitely yes for sure so The Bishop score is definitely something that has been designed, not always used, to find out whether your cervix or your body is ready to go into labor. And then there are certain methods. So the higher the score, the more likely it it is that the induction is going to be successful and go very well and smoothly. And there are certain things that can be done to make your Bishop score higher. And so this is something I actually learned uh, in a job because this is, you learn it on the job as you go. The more patients you yeah. take care of, the more you kind of understand how things work. And so in this particular job, they always make sure before they actually start the induction, induction with oxytocin. Like that your the bishop, medical induction. Exactly. They make right. sure that your bishop score is very high. They're not going to admit you or you know, start anything like until your bishop score is high. And this process works very well. And this particular hospital has an extremely low C-section rate. And I think that is in part due to the fact that they wait. They they do things to the cervix to make sure that it is favorable before actually doing the induction. And so basically the bishop score is based on, now you're testing me if I actually remember, but it's based on a few things. <laughs> well, to get the actual facts, <laughs> I'll, I'll put the, uh, yeah, you have a, you have a printable of it in your. Yes, um, I do. Yeah. On your stuff. Yeah. So I'll put that in the show notes. People that's can get awesome. the real ones. I'm putting that's you on perfect. the spot, but. <laughs> perfect. No, that's okay. I, it's good. It's good. It's a good refresher, especially on mat leave. It's a good refresher. So basically. Yeah, your exactly. Cervix, <laughs> your cervix does more than just open up. That is something I always try to come like tell people when they're like, think they're in labor, they're wondering whether they're in labor. It's not just about the dilation. That's all we hear like on, you know, media and stuff. It's like, oh, I'm two centimeters and three centimeters. There's way more that your cervix does. So it needs to open up, yes. But especially first time moms, it needs to thin out. So basically your cervix is like a tube. It's like, um, just imagine maybe like a four centimeter. I don't know what that is in inches, but like a four centimeter long gardening hose, basically. And it's kind of like a tube and your baby's head is like right on top. And it's holding your baby's mm-hmm. head in and it's supposed to do that while you're pregnant. But then when you're in labor, it's supposed to thin out. So it becomes completely like paper thin, like a paper. Mm. So it goes from being like a thick, thick tube to like a thin paper. And mm-hmm. that is a lot of work for the cervix. And that's actually more important in the beginning of labor than actually opening up. 
for, for especially for first time moms for second and third time moms and beyond that it all happens kind of at once but for first time moms it thins out first so you're looking for how open it is how thinned out it is also how soft it is so they, there's different consistencies so when they check you how like stretchy and soft is it that's one other part of the bishop mm. score uh then it's the station of the baby's head so how high is the baby's head is it low really low down on the cervix or is it a little bit floating higher up in your pelvis your cervix really needs to do a lot of things and not just open up and so for each of those things they score you from zero to three i believe and depending on the score it'll tell the physician or the midwife how favorable your cervix is for induction and then there's a few medications that we can use to change that so one is cytotec or mesoprostol and other prostaglandins one is like an insert it's called cervidil they put it on your cervix and another thing is like a foley bulb that they put in your cervix to open it up so if they do a lot of things to try to, you know, make your cervix really favorable for induction, that can be super helpful to make the process a little bit shorter once they actually go in, break your water, start oxytocin and things like that. Unfortunately, there's like, I don't think that's the norm in most places. I think usually, and women that are listening that have had inductions before, they can kind of be nodding their heads now, yes or no. But usually <laughs> what happens is they might put like, one dose of that prostaglandin um, on their cervix and then overnight they kind of wait for some changes sometimes the cervix changes sometimes it doesn't but either way they start the oxytocin right away they break their water at one centimeter and then you're kind of setting that person up for i don't want to say failure because it oftentimes it works but not always when you do try to get that bishop score really high what happens too then is sometimes their body will kick into labor anyways, and they don't even need that oxytocin. Because the cervix is so thin, the baby's head has come down, it kind of kicks all that all those hormones into gear and helps them to go into labor on their own. And then they won't even need the oxytocin or the breaking of the waters or anything. It's just kind of, then you're kind of in natural labor with a little assistance. I hope all that makes sense. I know it's a lot of medical terms and stuff like that, but. Yeah, no, I think it really does. And just to clarify, to make sure that I understand what I think to be hearing, which is something that I've not understood, is that it's not like we're going to, you're going to get induced. This is the way that it goes. There's many things like you mentioned here in your blog, Foley induction, augmentation, Cervidil or the gel, artificial rupture and oxytocin, which not all of them would be used. So you wouldn't necessarily have to go through a full induction. Am I understanding that correctly? Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Definitely. Again, it totally depends on the hospital, the policies. Like I mentioned, one of the drugs to soften the cervix is called mesoprostol. I'm not sure if I mentioned it in the blog there because it's not used mm. everywhere. I actually just recently my newest position, I started using it and noticing how well it really works, but I never used it before because that's not something at the other hospitals I worked at that they actually use. So again, mm -hmm. it totally depends on where you're delivering and um, what your provider's used to using and what they feel. It's almost like, yes, we use evidence-based care, but at the same time, it's also kind of what they find to be most effective. And so if they've never right. used mesoprostol or Cytotec and they don't know how it works, then they might not be using it, even though it is a great, you know, option, which is kind of sad because you'd, you'd wish that there was all the options yeah. available and it would be more involved, like depending on how dilated you are, depending how high your bishop score is. 
like what choices they make, but it seems to be more of the comfort level of the provider, I guess, um, which is, that's just part of medicine, right? That's just how it is. Right. For the most part, would you say, though, that if we did our own research to figure out what we're comfortable with, with regards to induction, would you say that we would be able to, or we should feel empowered to communicate that to our OBG or I think definitely, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, like, that you, like I the said, better way to do it. Yeah, definitely. Like go in with some sort of like written information, do your research and then say, okay, do you guys do this here? Do you guys do that? Do you check my bishop score? Because I've actually worked at places where everybody knows about it, but no one really cares about it. Right. Yeah. Which is wrong because it is a way to set people up for, you know, a successful induction. That's why I have this printable. It's because like all doctors know about the bishop's course. Well, like they don't know, but it's kind of like a reminder right. to them. Hey, and I think it's also helpful, you know, the doctor that you go to might be used to just being able to tell their patients kind of what to do, like what you were talking about in the beginning and they just go for it. But if you come in with, you know, so much research and like, I really want to do this, that, and the other, that will help. It'll be a light bulb moment for that doctor saying, hey, it might be a, not a bad idea to help these women get empowered to ask questions and get informed. And right. that might change their practice in a way. So don't be afraid to ask questions. What's the worst that can happen? It's going to be a no, like we don't do that or whatever. And like, exactly. if that's if that's something you really, really want, if you're able to see if you can find another doctor, it's never too late to switch providers to it honestly, like, I think some women probably might see somebody their whole pregnancy and then realize, oh, I really don't want this person to be delivering my baby. Find someone else. There's nothing wrong with that if you have the option. Yeah. yeah, that's a really good point to bring up. I think the key here is what we're talking about. Get this information and know what you're comfortable with and what 100%. you're not. And of course, yeah. within reason, you know, whoever's listening, Hannah is not your healthcare practitioner. Yes. You know, <laughs> please consult with whoever you're working with. But at the end of the day, if we're able to know the risks, know the benefits, and and do the research, then we'll be able to communicate better what we're what we're comfortable with. Yeah, and honestly, so I, I love this. Yeah, and honestly, you know, doing all that, it's going to help you. It's going to set you up for success in parenting as well. Right. Birth is very at a very important time in your you and your baby's life and your whole family's life. But it's not the end. Once your baby's out, then you have to start parenting, right? So being able to advocate for yourself at this time, maybe you've never done it before. Maybe you've never really even been to the doctors before or in a hospital, right? So this is all really new. It's super common. You know, I'm starting an IV on someone. Like, have you ever had an IV before? No, I've never been in the hospital before. Obviously, it's young, healthy yeah. women. There's no reason for them to be in the hospital. So you're mm -hmm. like in a new place. You're learning how to advocate for yourself. But that's going to really help you once you're a parent. You have to advocate for your kids, right? And it will just empower you to feel, you yeah. know, that much more prepared to take care of these, this new human that's coming into your life, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, uh, of course, <laughs> of course, it'll empower you. Because yeah. if you can do it for yourself, you can definitely do it for your child. And yeah. I think it's better to start with yourself because not enough women stand up for themselves. And I don't think we talk enough about like that transformation that happens once you are a parent. I sometimes even like visibly see it in people like after their baby's out. It's like there is this big transformation that happens and it's your outlook on life. All of a sudden, this vulnerable person needs you for everything. And mm -hmm. so you need to step up for that person. And so you should be doing that for yourself. I mean, even if you haven't, haven't until this point, now's the time. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
That might be the quote of this episode. I love it. (laughs) I want to touch quickly um, before we end up wrapping up on the natural side of this a little bit. So what are some ways that before we even get to that point, maybe when we're at home, or what are some methods that we can use to try to naturally induce labor? Yeah, so there's one method that I really want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into. So I'm going to leave that to last because it's something I'm actually very passionate about. And it's something a lot of people don't know about or don't really fully understand. But some typical, you know, ways and you prop those women out there that are pregnant that are listening probably have already heard them. But sex is a great way to get things started. You know how we talked about the prostaglandins, how it softens the cervix. Well, semen actually has prostaglandins in it so it can help with that Ah. you know initial softening uh, of your cervix and thinning out Um, and also orgasms will help you start contracting it might not be something that will be lasting very long but if your body's already you know kind of almost starting on its own but not quite there that could be something that could push you over the edge (laughs) uh, Mm. so to speak Um, and then (laughs) yeah (laughs) I think another maybe two other things that I really like to talk about um, is the mental state. So a lot of times, Mm. you know, you have like a mental block, even though you really want to go into labor, but like the stress is just so high. So your adrenaline is really high and that is going to prohibit the oxytocin flow in your body. So finding ways to just relax and like, I know it's hard, Mm. but like not to think about it, you know, go for nice long walks, which could also be beneficial and just to take your mind off things meditation is extremely can be extremely helpful to help you kind of get rid of those blocks just take nice long naps it seems counterintuitive but anything that can kind of like relax you like take nice deep breaths throughout the day that can it can it can help and then I think the third one would be exercise you know they say squatting really helps I think it was Ina May who said to do like I don't know, 100 squats a day, which I think is ridiculous yeah. for like a pregnant person, but as many as you can exactly. um, yeah. can kind of help. It can help get the baby into position. And it's just, it's obviously good to keep the blood flowing and stuff like that. Again, most of these things that I've mentioned now before will not work unless your body is already kind of primed. So if your body is absolutely not ready at all, don't get frustrated if it doesn't work. It just, it is right. what it is keep meditating. If you're into that, it can be very helpful. And then so the main thing that I think is something, it's almost like this, you know, what's a good word, Um, like a catchy word for it. But you know, it's like a a golden trick. Yeah, exactly. Like a trick you can have up your sleeve that not a lot of people know about. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of doctors actually know enough about, but it is hand expressing while you're still pregnant. So Mm. this is something you can actually start doing Talk to your doctor about it because some of them have some reservations whether, you know, if you're if you're not a candidate. But I feel like once you're full term, so after 37 weeks and you're planning on having a vaginal delivery, you want contractions. So as long as you want contractions to start, this is a really great way. So basically hand expressing milk. So whether you're going to breastfeed or not, this is a really good uh, trick because it's been clinically proven to soften your cervix as long as it's done. Ah. Yeah, as long as it's done about three or four times a day to 10 to 15 minutes at a time. There's a certain technique. I actually can send you a link on how to hand express a really good link. Uh, It's not my video, but it's a video that's a doctor. Her name is Jane Morton, and she focuses on antenatal hand expressing. Um, And she's done lots of research on it. 
And basically you hand express, it's not about how much milk you get out, it's about just the act of hand expressing, which stimulates kind of mini contractions in your uterus, which help to soften the cervix. And it's been shown to help women go into labor sooner. It's like clinically proven. In the past, mm -hmm. I think pumping has been recommended and I, there's nothing wrong with pumping, but apparently the, the act of actually touching your breasts and nipples, it will stimulate more oxytocin right. flow in your body. Uh, and well, because I've is heard helpful. of actual just nipple stimulation, but if yeah. it's, you take it to that other level, then it's yes. both of them combined. And there's an amazing, if you are planning on breastfeeding or giving your baby colostrum pumping, there is a huge benefit to this as well, because you are going to be able to collect some drops. And right. so as you're doing it, the drops that come out, you can collect it into a little syringe and then freeze it. And then you take it with you to the hospital. And if your baby needs supplementation for any reason, most babies are cranky the first or second night because there's not a lot of milk there. There's just colostrum. So even just mm -hmm. as a little top up so that if you want to avoid giving formula, this is a great way to do it. And I, the, the reason I'm like even more passionate about it now is I've only done it with one of my, I have three kids and I only did it with this last one. And I, I collected so much colostrum and on her first night, she was so cranky and not satisfied with the breast. If I were a first-time mom that knew nothing, I probably would have supplemented with, with formula. But because I had a bunch of collected colostrum, I gave that to her. And it tied us over until, like, my milk came in. And it was oh, amazing. Wow. It's interesting because this whole hand-expressing thing has been recommended to women with, like, diabetes or any – if they're, like, worried the babies are going to have issues, then they recommend it. But actually now they're changing the recommendations that – any woman can do this and they should do it uh, and it can be very helpful, you know, and it also actually added bonus for those that are breastfeeding. Uh, if you do do this, your milk will most likely come in faster as well. So it's like right, there's right. so many benefits to this. I can't talk about it enough because I feel like it's something that, you know, people hear about, but they don't actually know how to do it or why right. they're doing it or what actually. So these are the reasons. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a huge golden nugget. I'm so yeah. grateful that you <laughs> shared that with us. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I'll definitely send me over that link. I'll put that in the yeah, show notes for, sure, for people for to sure. check out definitely. so that they know how to get that. Inductions are very common, and there's nothing wrong with it if you have to have an induction. There's there's nothing shameful about it. I feel like there's a lot of, like, shaming or people are shaming themselves for, oh, I want to be natural. I want everything to be natural, and it doesn't go that way. There's nothing wrong if you do need an induction or if you want an induction. And I think the teaching is lacking on inductions and it is so much better to know what's going to happen, right? If you're going into a black hole and you have no idea what's happening, it just is so much more scary. So another good tip is just to realize that inductions can take a very, very, very long time. And I think that's something that a lot of women don't know, that it can be a multiple day process and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you failed. That's just normal because we're medically inducing your body to go into labor and it's not ready yet. So it needs a lot of interventions until it actually happens. I just want people to know that that's totally normal. And that just means your body hasn't kicked into labor yet. Once your body kicks into labor, it's a totally different story and your cervix will start changing. But just the fact that it hasn't changed doesn't mean that, you know, you're somehow failing. It just it's going to be a long, the long haul. You're in it for the long haul, you know, just like parenthood. <laughs> so yeah, you know, be patient. Once, once you, once you, yeah, once you took this step, it's like you're in it for the long haul and the patients all, and, and like you mentioned earlier, standing up for yourself and your baby, yes, it's all wrapped up definitely. into one big basket. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, Hannah. <laughs> 
I, you know, my mission with this podcast is really to deliver these golden nuggets, this value that really you can't get from anybody else, but someone who's been there. You are the prime example of it because not only do you work as a labor and delivery nurse, but you just had a baby yourself and you just experienced how hand expressing helped you to go into, you know, labor sooner and to then have that supply ready for you and your baby. I couldn't be more overjoyed. And I, I really, really encourage anybody who's listening to not only do the research, take the advice that Hannah's given you, but then also go ahead and follow Hannah and check out everything that she has because any way that we can educate ourselves, just like open your mouth and drink water from the fire hose, you know, we're going to take <laughs> everything in and let go of what doesn't serve you. But today I feel like you have served us big, big time. So where can our listeners continue to get more of you and see you and what you do? Yeah, so my main spot on social media is babytalk.birthnurse. That's where I hang out most of the time. And then I have the blog, which I have written tons and tons of articles. It's babytalk.life is the URL for that. Lots of stuff on breastfeeding, on bottle feeding too, on inductions, on mental health, on birth. I am kind of on a little hiatus. I've gotten a bunch of people to take over on my stories just because I found that it was very overwhelming with a newborn and a toddler yeah. at home. <laughs> it was more than, it's interesting because Give with my toddler, full. yeah, with my toddler, when he was a baby, he was so different. He would just like, I'd breastfeed him, he'd sleep breastfeed and sleep. So mm-hmm. I was working a lot like while he was sleeping and it was not an issue. And then my oldest son is, you know, he's a, a teenager, so he wasn't bothering me really. But this time around, mm-hmm. it's I have a much more needy newborn and the toddler as well. So <laughs> I realized, okay, I'm in over my head. I'm going to ask some of my friends. So it's been really interesting. Actually, if you guys go on there, I've, I've had a bunch of takeovers from all different um, healthcare professionals. And definitely, if you don't see my face on the stories or any new posts, that's just because I'm on a little bit of a break, but I am going to be back soon. Well, thank you with all of the things that you have juggling that you were able to carve out some time with us. I'm really, really appreciative of it. And I can't wait to hear what people think of this episode. And oh, gosh, same. it's same. like, I oh, yeah, I'm going to definitely be sending you some updates with what people say. So Sounds good. Thank you so much, Hannah. Look forward to connecting Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Okay, take care. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at mamasintraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.